Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, we are ending our series called Fight Club today, and we're going to be talking about fighting for your marriage, fighting for your marriage. Now, not everyone is called to be married. Uh, The Bible makes that clear. Uh, Not everyone is married. Not everyone's supposed to be married. But today we're going to be talking about marriage, okay? So uh, it's going to be over in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, and I wanted to start by seeing uh, maybe a little more difficult in this service than the next But if you've been married, let's say, 30 years or longer, if you would stand and be recognized. If you've been married 30 years or longer. (laughs) So look around. All you younger couples, these are the people you need to talk to uh, that will tell you. Somebody asked when everybody was standing up, do you mean cumulative and all the different ones or, or just in it? But uh, we'll take whatever. All right, we'll take whatever. And, uh, but thank you. I'll look around. Thank you very much. Now, how do you get to be married for 30 years or more? Well, one thing is especially if you're the husband, you know what questions to answer and what questions not to answer. So for the men, I'm going to give you the top 10 questions not to answer, okay? They're traps. It's a trick. Don't answer these questions no matter what. All right, let's just go through them. Number one, am I starting to look like my mother? Don't answer that question, okay? Number two, it's another birthday. How old do you think I really look? Okay, no, no, you don't want to go there. Number three, what are you thinking right now? No, that is not a good one. You're out with your, your wife, and she says, do you think that girl over there looks pretty? <laughs> no, you don't. I didn't even notice anyone but you. It's maybe the best answer she could get. She's my best friend. Don't you just love her, too? You might not want to answer that question. Number six, how would you feel about my folks going on vacation with us? Okay, you probably don't want to answer that question. Is this food as good as what your mother makes? You might not want to answer that question. Number eight, if you could change anything about me, what would it be? Okay, it's a trap. Don't go there. You don't want to see it. Number nine, do you remember what today is? It's Sunday, you know, <laughs> you know I, I don't know. You, you, and finally, the biggest trap of all, do you think these clothes make me look fat? You know, you don't want to go there. Those are questions you just don't want to answer. And if you don't answer them, you'll probably have a much happier life, okay, as you go through it. Well, we're going to be over in Genesis chapter 2 today, and we're going to be talking about the very first marriage. And in particular, we're going to look at four Hebrew words that I will mispronounce every time. And uh, we'll be talking about what those four words mean and how they apply to fighting for your marriage. So uh, let's look over to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read the whole passage of Scripture down to verse 18. 
The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took the man's rib, closed up the place with flesh, and the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now a bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of the man. And that is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh." So we have this initial story, this first marriage. So it shows us from the very start that marriage is God's idea. Uh, Marriage isn't something people came up with. Marriage was something that God invented. It's for God's purposes and God's plan. But we're going to now look at this and talk about four Hebrew words in these six verses. And in particular, verses 18 and 24. All four of these words are in verse 18 or in verse 24. And the first thing we see is this. In marriage... Each spouse is supposed to be the helper of the other. We're each supposed to be the helper of the other. Look down to verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then down to verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, this Hebrew word that is used here is the word ezer, ezer. And the word ezer simply means uh, one who contributes to the fulfillment or the furtherance of another. It is uh, often translated as helper. Uh, uh, Some translations uh, say that uh, it is someone who is the assistant. That is certainly not the case at all. This isn't an assistant. Uh, if you think that what this word means, uh, and it's often used as, well, you know, uh, the wife's the little helper of the man. That's not what it's talking about here. The wife isn't the person that helps the man so when he's laying on the couch with his feet up, she gets him a, a cool one while he's watching the ball game. That's called a slave. That's not called an, an ezer, okay? That's not what this word is. As a matter of fact, if you think that that's what this word means, here's the problem. Three out of four times it's used in the Bible, it's used of God towards man. So unless you think God is subservient to man, that's not what this verse means at all. Uh, The word comes from two Hebrew uh, root words, and the words are really very interesting when you get in and you talk about them. The first is rescuer or savior, that this person is the rescuer or the savior. And the second word is strong. So the word helper is strong rescuer or strong savior. And this is how it's used of God, Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our ezer and shield. This, the Lord, the, our soul waits on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So that's how the verse is used over and over again. So as spouses, we are supposed to be the helper of the other. Now, what's it mean to be the helper of the other? Well, over and over again in our scripture, look back to verse 18. This is the point. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. 
So one of the main purposes God has of marriage is companionship. It's, it's so that we're not alone, that we go through life and share life with another individual. And not just as surface friends or as acquaintances, but as someone who really connects at the deepest level of what we want and supposed to be in life. You're sharing your hopes, your dreams, uh, all of life with this person. It is the most intimate fellowship that you can ever have, this idea of Ezra, this idea of, of, of being a helper and someone who is an advocate of the other person. You know, often I see it uh, with couples is that couples think it's, it's funny to kind of put the other one down and talk about the old ball and chain or say this or that about the other person. And, and personally, I never think that's funny because as your spouse, you're supposed to be the number one advocate of the person that you've married. You're supposed to be their number one encourager, the person that pushes them forward, the one that's always trying to make them better, not one that's laughing about them or pointing out their flaws and front of other people because believe me you've got a lot of flaws that can be pointed out as well but the person that builds up you're the number one fan of your spouse as you go through life and you share life together the highs and the lows the goods and the bads all of that together with this person and that's what what this word means that we are supposed to be the helper the carer the companion the number one advocate of the person that we've married anybody here been watching the nba finals Thank you for both of you that have been watching the, the NBA Finals. I, I appreciate that. Let's try that again. Who's been watching the NBA Finals? Okay, just about the same number. Uh, yeah. All right, anyway, you should be watching the NBA Finals. Well, it's been real interesting. Toronto has a super fan. Anybody know who it is? Drake. Now, Drake is really obnoxious. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the games, he's already gotten into arguments during the game. He's a fan on the sidelines, and he's on the, on the front row, and he's arguing with Draymond Green and Steph Curry. Got pictures uh, right there of him arguing with them on the court and saying things to them as they're walking by uh, and all of that. To the extent that the NBA has warned Toronto that they are going to be fined if he continues to argue with the players on the court. But he, can, he sees himself as the super fan that he's going to support his team no matter what. Well, you need to be the super fan of your spouse, the person that is their number one advocate, the person that they know they can depend on, that when they've had a bad day, they can come home, and you're the person that's going to listen and care. They need to be the person that when they're celebrating, you're the person that's going to rejoice with them more than anybody else. You're the number one fan of your spouse. You are their Ezer. And that brings us to the second word, and it's in that same verse. Look down to verse 18 again. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this is the, 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 the point we're making here is that couples are supposed to complete one another. Complete one another. We're looking at that word in verse 18 and verse uh, uh, 20 that is suitable. A suitable helper. Now, what's it mean to be suitable? Uh, does it mean you dress up in a nice suit or something like that? No, no, no. Uh, the word here is connecto, connecto. And connecto has a really interesting meaning. It means corresponds to, but is different than. Now, that's kind of a, a unique word. Corresponds to, but is different than. So think of it this way. I'll keep my shirt on, but if I took my shirt off and ripped it apart, I'm, I'm keeping it on for your benefit, and, you know, I don't want the women to lust, you know, so if we're leaving that baby on, you know, so we, you know, take it off. If I, if I ripped my shirt in two and I held it up, 
you would say, that's one shirt. It, it's, in, it's in two pieces, but it's one shirt. But it's the other side of that shirt. You have a left uh, arm here and a right arm here, but when you bring them together, they form one thing. That's literally what the word konegdo means. One thing, but, but two different parts. And so it's like a puzzle where you found the missing piece. Uh, that's exactly what the word konegdo means. Now, what's it mean to correspond to but be the opposite of the other? Look at that again in verse 18. Uh, it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make an ezer that will be a konegdo for him, that will correspond to him, be just like him, but be different than him. So they're, they're one, but they're also different. So your spouse is supposed to do something for you that no one else can do. Anybody here see the movie Jerry Maguire? There's that famous, more people saw Jerry Maguire than the NBA Finals. You all need counseling. There is something going on here. Anyway, anyway, there's that famous scene in Jerry Maguire at the end of the movie where Tom Cruise comes in and Renelle Zellweger is standing there, and he looks at her and he says what to her? You complete me. Okay, that's what the word connecto means. Connecto means you complete me, that you make me whole, that you were the same as me and yet opposite to me. And then, of course, she says what? You had me at hello. You had me at hello. You know. All right, now everybody go watch the movie, you know, as, as you go back home. The, the finals aren't until tomorrow night. You'll be, you'll be okay. So that's literally what the word means. If you're thinking about what's this mean in our context, couples are supposed to complete the other. Now, I know for Dawn and I, that's definitely the case because uh, we are opposite in all the good things that we do. So Dawn mows the grass and fixes things. And I do the laundry and clean the house. And because you don't want me fixing anything, I can tell you that right now. Now, somebody will say, your wife mows the grass and fixes things? And I say, yeah. And they go, what do you think about that? And I say, well, I think I've got things fixed and mow grass. That's what I think. You know, I don't know about you all. You know, but that's what it is. Now, Dawn doesn't like the way I do laundry all the time because I don't quite fold it the way she does. It's more like... Throw it over to the side. I need one of those Sheldon things, a little pad. That we, that, but anyway, uh, we complete one another in that we're opposite. Do you know that most couples are actually not very much alike? You're drawn to somebody different than you are. Now, that causes its own problems when you get, in, get into the marriage. But the reason you're drawn to someone different than you is that there really is a connecto going on. There really is a completion of the whole person. And what it means to complete the other is that your number one concern is no longer yourself, it's the other person. And this is something that some couples never learn in their marriage. A lot of marriages immediately hit the rocks because we're a very selfish people today. All we think about is ourselves. But our spouse is supposed to be our number one concern. Your concern is what's best for them. What are their needs? How am I meeting those needs? How am I caring for them and helping them? That's your number one concern. That's in every area of your life, whether it's, uh, whether it's in your emotionally, physically, uh, whatever. Everything is supposed to be you thinking and caring for the other person and their needs, and they were supposed to be looking out for you and your needs. Now, it falls apart in two different ways. It falls apart if both are selfish and only care about themselves. And it also falls apart if just one of the two couples are doing it. 
If just one of the two couples are looking at, how can I help you? What can I do to push you forward? What can I do uh, to make it better for you? And the other one is selfish. Because pretty soon you're just going to get resentment back because you're giving and giving and you're getting nothing in return. But the ideal of marriage is connecto. The idea of marriage is that we were supposed to be together and that we were supposed to, to care for one another, complete the other, and to look out for the other's needs. That's God's plan. And that's why those two words are together in our scripture two different times. We were supposed to be the ezer connecto. We were supposed to be the helper who completes the other person in life. That brings us down to the third word we're going to look at, and it is the word yazab. Your your spouse is supposed to be your number one in primary relationship. Your spouse is supposed to be your number one in your primary relationship. Look down to verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. What of the man called each living creature? That's with its name. And so the man gave name to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, the wild animals. But for Adam, no Ezra Konegdo was found. So we're told it's not good for man to be alone. And so God says, okay, let's solve the loneliness problem uh, that the man is having. And he creates all the animals. They're brought to Adam. And we're told Adam names the animals. Uh, dog. Cat. How about duckbill platypus? And he's naming all the animals as he's going through there. But we're told that at the end of that, there was no Ezer Konegdo found for the man. There was no helper that completed him. Now, we love our animals. We all do. I've seen, I was at a prayer meeting in Owensboro one time where someone's cat had died. There were more people crying than if half the church had passed away in a plague that morning or something like that. You know, everybody's going, oh, I remember when my dog died or, oh, my gerbil got sick one time. You know, and people, you know, people are just falling off the rails crying and all this. You know, we are attached to our animals. We love our animals. But your animal can never be your Ezra Konegdo. They cannot connect with you at the deepest level. They cannot, they cannot be the one that is the completion of who you are as a person. So for Adam, there was no Ezra Konegdo found. So we're told again that, you know, God causes Adam to fall asleep. He takes his rib. He forms a woman. And then what are we told? Verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is someone that can literally complete me. They came from me. They're my Ezra Konegdo. And then that brings us to verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. That word leaves is the word yazab, yazab. And yazab means to let go of, to give up. So there comes a point in life that as you raise your children and your children leave the nest and they go out and get married, that they are supposed to leave their father and mother. They are supposed to yazab. Now, what that means for us is that your marriage is supposed to be the number one and the primary relationship that you have in life over everything else. But we often don't make it that way. Uh, for a lot of couples, the number one relationship that they have in their life is their children. 
uh, and so they start having children. Their children become number one. They pour everything in their children, and then their children get to be 18, 19, 21, 22, 23, today, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. But eventually... They move out of your basement in their mid-30s or something like that, you know, and they, they marry someone else. And so they leave home. So what happens if your children have been number one in your life for 20-something years and then they leave? Well, suddenly there's a void there. And you have a person in the house with you that you've spent no time getting to know, sharing life with. Everything has been poured into your children. And suddenly, you're with this strange person. Do you know a lot of divorces happen after children leave home because couples no longer know the intimacy? You started your marriage with your spouse as the number one person. I mean, guys, some of you even took baths and combed your hair before dates. You know, that's how serious you were about this relationship. And, uh, you know, and, and yet here you are now, suddenly, who is this person? I've shared nothing with them for years. Everything's been about my children. I said this one time in a sermon, and a, a lady came up to me afterwards and said, you can say that all you want, but I want you to know this. My children are number one in my life. And I said, that's great, and you're going to have a miserable marriage. You really are. Your children cannot be number one in your life. Now, that doesn't mean your children are important. It doesn't mean they're always your children. You're always their parent. You're always going to love them and care for them. But it means they're no longer the number one thing in your life. They can't be. It has to be your spouse. Your spouse was there before your children. Your spouse will be there after your children. You need to yazab, let go uh, of, of your, of your uh, mother and father and go then and have that number one primary relationship. But we're not very good at that, are we? We have a lot of issues and conflicts with letting go. Uh, It's interesting to see young couples when they get started. The first big tension a lot of times for young couples is where are we going to spend Christmas? Because guess what both sides of the family think? Christmas is supposed to be with us the way we've always done it, no matter what, even if the other side did it the exact same way that we're doing it at the exact same time, you better be here. And if not, you're going to really hurt my feelings. And what I would say to that is, grow up. I'm sorry. Your children have big decisions to make every year. I've even heard a, a, a couple came to me one time. They'd been married. It was their first year. And they said to me, what we got told both of our parents is, one year, because their both parents were out of town in different places, they said, one year we're going to spend Christmas with you, and we'll spend Thanksgiving with the other, and we'll flip the next year. And guess what? Both sides of the family got mad at them. And I said, well, tough on them. They're big babies. They don't understand that they are no longer the primary relationship, that you've married somebody else. And so if you don't let go... If you don't let your children go and be who they are and support them in that, then there's always going to be tension. Rick Warren, uh, the pastor of Saddleback Church, uh, talks about three things that you need to be doing in your marriage to make sure that you yazab, that you let go and your spouse becomes your number one uh, relationship. It's something to do every week. Uh, I'm sorry, something to do every day, something to do every week, and something to do once a year. What do you do every day? He said, every day you need to have a time to spend alone with your spouse. 
He said, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes where you do a, a scripture and you have a prayer together. But you need to have a time where you two are just alone. Even if the kids are in bed, you do a short devotion together, whatever. But every day that you can, you need to have a time together. Then he says, once a week, you need to have a time that you have a date with your spouse. Now, I've had people tell me this. That's impossible. If you knew our schedule, if you knew everything going on, there's no way. Maybe once every three months we can get together, but not once a week. Well, it's not going out and doing a big thing. Maybe your date is you put the kids to bed 30 minutes early and you, and you sit there and you and your spouse just have some, time, some quality time together for a while. You know, you, you watch uh, The Bachelor together or something. You know, I, I don't know. You know but, but, you know, once a week you need to have a more uh, a block of time that you spend with each other, whether it's going out or not. And then once a year, he says, you need to get away on your own without your children. Now, whether that's a week vacation or a weekend, one or two days, you need to have a time at least once a year that your children are not with you. Oh, but I would never leave my precious kids, you know, for any reason. Uh, well, you know, you need to yazab a little bit and know the primary relationship that is there. Greg Falls, uh, who is the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Owensboro, his uh, his his uh, mother and father-in-law were members of the church that we pastored. And uh, they asked him, what's the best thing that we can do for our pastor right now? And he said, take their kids one weekend and let them have the weekend on their own. And so uh, Linda called us and she said, hey, we will, we are going to take your kids and uh, you all go out and do anything you want. We'll, we'll bring them back to you uh, the next morning. And so Dawn and I thought, this is great. What do you want to do? Let's go to a nice dinner. Let's go to a movie. Uh, you know, let's go really wild and go to Shoney's and get, a, get dessert afterwards. You know, we were just going to go crazy, you know, and all that. So, it, you know, the, the day comes. We, we take the kids over there. We go out to eat. And halfway through the dinner, I look at Dawn. She's about to fall asleep. And I said, do you really want to go to a movie? And she said, well, let's just watch a movie at home. Let's run a movie and watch it at home. And I said, okay. So we rented a movie. We got home. We get about five minutes into it. We're both about to fall asleep. And I said, do you really want to watch this movie? And she goes, I think we just need to go to bed. And she meant sleep, you know. And, and I, said, I said, okay, you know. And so, so we go in there. And by 10 o'clock, we're both sound asleep. The next morning, she brings the kids over. She goes, how was your day? And we go, it was fantastic, man. We got eight hours of sleep for the first time in months. You know. So once a day, a short time together, once a week, a block of time, at least once a year, you have a time uh, that you can get away. That way you can help Yazab. You make your spouse your number one priority. And that brings us to the last word uh, that we're going to see, and it's also... In verse 24, couples should be committed to one another. Couples should be committed to one another. The, uh, the Hebrew word that is used here is the word devak, devak. And devak means to be glued to, to be attached to, to be fastened to. Look at verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Leave and cleave. So you leave your parents you cleave to your spouse. And that's not like you're coming at them with a cleaver or something like that. You know. uh, you're, you're, you're glued to them. You're fastened to them. Nothing's going to pull you apart. 
Now, we're not very good at marriages today at clinging to one another, at being glued to one another, because we go into marriage with very selfish ideas. We don't go into it thinking, this is forever, uh, you know, I, I love you, you know, I'm committing myself to you. And that's why we look at the divorce stats today, and they're off the charts. Now, you probably have heard 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's not really accurate. 40% of marriages end in divorce. That's still not great. But 40% of first-time marriages end in divorce. 50% of, of marriages overall. So 60% of second-time marriages end in divorce. That's included in that number. And 73% of third marriages end in divorce. Now, why does the divorce rate skyrocket with each additional marriage? Because you've gotten good at not clinging. You've gotten good at not devocking. You've gotten good at not being glued to, and so it's easier to leave the second time and the third time and even easier the fourth time because you've done it over and over again. And the statistics are even worse for couples that live together. Couples that live together, about 70% of them uh, will not live together for more than five years. So that, I mean, it's just, it almost never lasts. Of those that get married, less than 50% get married. And of those that do get married, only 33% will stay married. So, the, the, and why is that? Because you entered the relationship not devocking. You entered the relationship with, well, let's see what happens. And if it all works out, we'll get married later or something like that. So there was no glue to begin with. And so we're not very good at devocking today. Uh, you know, I, I read an interesting story about a guy by the name of Clint Gorski. If you want to know what it means to cling to, to hold on to, he was high, hand gliding in the Swiss Alps. Uh, got a picture of him right here. Uh, it was one of those things where you're tethered to another person. As soon as they went off, the tether broke loose, and he was literally doing nothing but holding on by his hands up in the sky over the Alps with the guy who was formerly attached to trying to grab him. He was able to hold on and survive till they got to the bottom. When he did, he had ripped uh, his shoulder completely out of its socket, and his hand, his wrist was completely out like this, and he had to have major surgery on his wrist and on his shoulder that were completely pulled out of their sockets. But he didn't let go. Why didn't he let go when your arm is being pulled out of its socket? Because if you let go, you're falling to the bottom of the Alps. That's why he didn't let go. That's the, you could say that word there, he was devoked to that thing there. He was glued to it. He wasn't going to let go. That's not the attitude we have uh, when we go into marriage any longer. A lot of people, when they go into marriage, think that marriage is going to solve all of your problems. Marriage doesn't solve any problem that you have. Marriage reveals problems that are already there. So if you think, well, my marriage caused all of these problems, no, they didn't. Marriage just revealed who you were and who they were all along. We think, well, when we get married, everything's going to change about the person. So we marry them and we think, well, yeah, they're, they're selfish and think only about themselves, but when they get married, they'll start thinking about me. Now, no, it doesn't quite work that way. That's not how it's going to be. Well, I know that they're, they're a loose spender now, and I, and I can't keep their spending under control, but when we get married, you know, I'll be able to keep that under control. No, it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, you know, I know they've been unfaithful uh, in all their other relationships, but they're going to be faithful to me this time. 
You know, it probably doesn't work out that way. Marriage reveals problems. It doesn't solve problems. And that's where we run into issues over and over again. You know, today, uh, a lot of couples are writing their own marriage vows. Uh, uh, Andrew and Tiffany uh, wrote their own marriage vows. I just didn't read them during the wedding because I forgot. And uh, (laughs) after the wedding, Andrew said, what happened with the vows we wrote? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. But they had very good vows. But a lot of people, when they write their vows and I listen to them, they sound like a middle school love note that's been passed to somebody else. You know, here, here's some of the things that, that people have said in some of these vows. I love you as long as the sun shines. So that mean you don't love them at night? You know, I don't, you know what, what, what's that even mean? You know, uh, you know, I love you because you make me feel great. And I said, well, be married for a day or two, you know, and then see, see how that goes. You might not feel that, that way uh, much longer, you know. I love you because you're beautiful. Well, I, ha- I have, a, I have a, some information for you. Their, their beauty's going to fade, and yours already has. You know, you know, and so if that's what you're looking at, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're getting a 36-month car lease or something, you know, as you're doing that. Compare that to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, love does not delight in evil, rejoices in the truth, love will always protect, it will always trust, it will always hope, it will always persevere, love will never end. That's devocking. It is a glue that's always going to be there that will hold you together. Love is a choice, not an emotion. And most couples go into it thinking that love is an emotion, but it's not. Love is a choice you make for another person, and that's why we're called to this special relationship of devocking. So we looked at four words today, helper, completer, uh, that, that we are supposed to be the person that, that, uh, uh, that, that is our primary relationship and the person that we cleave to. Chad Robuchet, uh is an interesting person. Chad Robuchet was a Marine in the Special Forces. He did 15 tours of duty in Iraq, just over and over and over again. He was in the Special Forces. He was very good at what he did. But after his last couple of tours of duty, he was having trouble separating being home from being on the battlefield. And he got into arguments, he got into fights, and pretty soon uh, the Marines told him, we're not sending you out anymore, we think you need to go into training for PTSD. And he said his whole life began to fall apart. He was married at this point, he got married in the Marines. He said he was always angry at his wife, they were always fighting. And, uh, and, and his, one of his PTSD counselors said, you need to channel your anger somehow. So he became an MMA fighter. And he became number one in the world as an MMA fighter. He let out all that hostility, just pounding on people and kicking them and, and, and all of that. Uh, became the number one fighter in the entire world. But his marriage was falling apart. Because at home, he was still that angry person until his wife said, I'm leaving you. And she took off. 
So he said he's thinking about it, and he thought, I've succeeded at anything I've ever done in my life, and I'm failing at my marriage. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to succeed at my marriage. So he went back to her, and he said, what do I need to do to put our marriage back together? And his wife said, well, I'm not going to let you come back right now, but start going to church with me, and we'll see. So he said, okay, whatever. So he starts going to church with her. Said he wasn't really thrilled about anything, but he's going to church with her, whatever. They start dating a little bit. They start getting closer again. And then he went and talked to the pastor, and he said, what do I need to do to really get my, back together with my wife? And the pastor said, well, you might want to start by going off in a room by yourself and asking yourself, how did your wife feel every time you acted like you did? And so he said he went to his room. He actually got in the closet, uh, and he said he closed the closet door, and he started thinking over every experience his wife and he had had over the years and how she felt when he was doing what he was doing. And he said by the end of it, he was just a blubbering mess. He was crying. He was saying, I can't believe that I've done this to her over and over again. And so he got out, and he wrote down a sheet of paper, and he wrote everything he was going to change. And he took it to the pastor, and he said, hey, what do you think? And the pastor looked at all the good things he was going to do for his wife. And the pastor started laughing and tore it up, threw it in the trash can. And said, yeah, I give that one to three weeks. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, it it doesn't change like that. You can't just say, suddenly I'm going to be a different person. And he said, well, what do I do? And the pastor handed him a Bible. And he said, start here. And when you get this right, your marriage will start getting right. And on that day, Chad Rebeshaw gave his life to the Lord. Got a picture of him uh, right here. This is him when he was in the, him and his wife. Uh, they've now been married. That's when he was in the Special Forces. He and his wife have now been married 22 years. Uh, he goes around preaching at different churches. But he started a special group called Mighty Oaks, which is for PTSD ministry uh, for uh, soldiers. It is a Christian-based ministry. Uh, and he says, where we start is with God. And then we go through the normal, the normal counseling for PTSD, but we start with God. And uh, they've had over 1,000 people that have now gone through that PTS ministry that he started. What did he find out? He found out the four things we were talking about today. I'm not the helper of my wife. I'm not her, her companion. I'm not her number one. I'm not, she's not my number one priority. I'm not being glued to her. And when he began to focus on those things, their entire marriage changed. It's time we started fighting for our marriages. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us, for showing us the right way. Father, help us to live the way that you've shown in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time together, and uh, as we come to this invitation, for some of you, maybe what you need to be doing is just looking at any of your relationships, not just with your spouse, but any relationship, and saying, how am I in this relationship right now? Am I really caring for the other person, or is it all about me? And for some of you, you need to start saying, Lord, I've been selfish in these relationships. Help me be a person that really cares for the other. During this time, you may have troubles, things going on in your life. You come and pray at this altar. Ministers, I'd love to pray with you. You can come and say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing. But the most important thing you could ever do is to start and say, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And come and say, I want to follow him in baptism.
but this is your time and your opportunity. Where is Cherish? Cherish, come on down. I want to present you this certificate of baptism and uh, say congratulations. And uh, uh, after we have a prayer, if you'll just stay down front, people are going to come by and, and say something to you and just uh, congratulate you. And uh, so she's a very special person. Come by and say a word to Cherish and let her know how much you celebrate with her the decision that she's made. Let's have a prayer now as we close. Father, I thank you for Cherish. I thank you. Uh, for the decision she's made that's changed her whole life today. And, uh, Father, we just pray that as we go out, we'd look at all of our relationships and how that we can make them better and stronger. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.